the story of the Bible, King Solomon was the wisest ruler that Israel ever had. And there are three books in the Hebrew Scriptures connected to him. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. They pass down the legacy of Solomon's wisdom, but in a surprising way. So let's talk about how to read the books of Solomon. Okay, to really appreciate the story of Solomon's wisdom, we have to go back to the Garden of Eden. Where God created humanity, male and female. <laughs> right, Adam and Eve. And God commissions them to rule the world together in intimacy and love. Kings and queens of creation. Now, in order to rule, you need to be wise. And the humans have a choice about how to gain wisdom. Yeah, they could live by God's wisdom, which will lead to life or they could become wise in their own eyes. And that's what they choose, to take the knowledge of good and bad into their own hands. And immediately, the intimacy between man and woman is broken. They hide their bodies from each other and then from God. Their choice leads to division and death. But the story holds out hope for a future human who will make the right choice and rely on God's wisdom. Like King Solomon. He prayed that God would give him the knowledge to know good from bad so he could rule with true wisdom. Exactly. He reverses the failure of Adam and Eve, and it leads to abundance. In Solomon's day, every Israelite sat in peace under their own fruit tree. Oh, it's like he's creating Eden. Well, for a while. But then Solomon fails. He marries hundreds of women from other nations, and he's deceived to follow their gods. And this begins Israel's long descent into self-destruction. And so when we turn to the books of Solomon, we're invited to learn wisdom from his successes and his failures. Got it. So let's start with Proverbs. Okay, so the book of Proverbs is most well known for the hundreds of short, memorable sayings that teach us how to live by God's wisdom. Like, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't be wise in your own eyes. In Proverbs, living by God's wisdom instead of your own is called the fear of the Lord. Like in the book's opening paragraph, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, Proverbs isn't just memorable sayings. It actually begins with a lot of poetry. Yes, nine chapters of speeches from Solomon to his royal sons. He tells them to pursue God's wisdom, which is symbolized as an elegant woman. Wisdom is a woman? Yes. So remember, in the Garden of Eden, the man and the woman's intimacy was violated by their failed search for wisdom. But now in Proverbs, humans who reunite with God's wisdom become what Adam and Eve failed to be, wise human rulers. Proverbs 3 even says that when we embrace Lady Wisdom, we're taking hold of the tree of life. Now we're the ones in the garden. Exactly. Proverbs is saying that every day we all stand before the tree with our own choice to make. And Solomon urges us, choose wisdom and life. Got it. The book of Proverbs urges us to choose wisdom, to choose life. It's easy to see in our world today that wisdom is something that we need, isn't it? Especially in a season that has been so disorienting for so many I mean, it's been disorienting in a public level uh, when it comes to world events, to events in our country, in our city. And for many of us, it's been very disorienting on a personal level. And so I think that that feeling of that desire and that need for wisdom is really real for a lot of us. As we've been going through each genre of the Bible, we're into the genre that's often referred to as the wisdom literature. And today we're going to continue the conversation on Proverbs that Leland kicked off last week. The book of Proverbs, written by Solomon, as you just saw in the video, He's writing it as a father writes to a son. But the wisdom can be uh, 
lived by all of us. The wisdom can be something that can be received by all of us. Um, but this is the way the book is framed as a father speaking to a son or to his children. And I know this isn't everyone's story, but the truth is, is that my dad was one of those people in my life that taught me the deepest lessons about discernment and wisdom. In fact, the, the book that I shared, I announced last week, came out, Make a Move, How to Stop Wavering and Make Decisions in a Disorienting World. I actually dedicated this book to my dad. He passed away when I was in high school. Um, but the dedication I'll read for you that I wrote to him, uh, for him in honor of him. In memory of my father, who instilled in me a desire for God's wisdom and discernment. Robert L. Williams, 1949 to 2000. He didn't live a long life, but his life made a huge impact on me. And there was many times as my dad was trying to teach me about making good decisions and about wisdom and what it meant to make good decisions um, that I, you know, I sometimes felt like that sounds good, dad, but I think I know better than you. <laughs> okay. And I think that happens for a lot of kids. Uh, my dad wasn't a perfect person, just like Solomon wasn't. And so, of course, it wasn't that he was always right anyway. Uh, but there was more than one time that I believed that I knew best. So, for instance, I'll tell you one story where I really believe that I knew best. So when I was in third grade, second or third grade, I had so badly wanted to play hockey. Um, at that time here in Minnesota, there were a few girls teams, but there weren't very many. And so the girls teams met at all different times, late at night, early in the morning. And oftentimes the age range was really big. So you'd be playing with, with girls that were way older than you and way younger than you. And so my mom took me to sign up for the hockey team and she looked at the time frames that those girls teams were meeting and she said, honey, we can't get you to that. Um, why don't we see if we can sign you up for the boys team? Because that there was a few other girls in line signing up for the boys team because they met at reasonable hours and were just kids with a couple of different grade levels, uh, the third and fourth grade team. And so we went to sign up and my mom said, well, let's, let's call your dad and see what he thinks. So we had to go find a payphone at that time. We put the quarter in and we gave my dad a call and he said, well, we need to talk about this a little bit more. It doesn't maybe feel like a good decision just to make that right away. So don't, you know, I, I don't know if it's a good idea for Steph to be playing hockey with the boys. And so he said, you know, I don't think we should do that. Well, my mom hung up, hung up the phone and she said, well, you know what, honey, why don't we sign you up? Because we can always call back later and we can, we can have, have them remove you from the list. And so we went home and we told my dad, Hey, we signed up for, for the hockey team. My dad said, okay, which team? And we said, well, well, the boys team and, and, Let's talk about it because we can always call and, and cancel. Anyway, long story short, my dad said to me, well, why don't you make a pros and cons list? So I made a pros and cons list, pros list of why Stephanie should be able to play with the boys and the cons list why little Steph should not be able to play with the boys. And I brought it to my dad. And my dad added a few more things to the cons list that I had not seen and uh, encouraged me in my pros list. <laughs> and then let me play with the boys team that one year. And in fact, I played for a couple of years with the boys and then went on to play with the girls after that. And you know, the interesting thing about this story is this, after I brought this pros and cons list to my dad, you know, I think what he saw was wise was to help me learn in that moment how to make a wise decision and how to process through different things. In the end, it was a really good thing that I joined the boys team. And I'll say the reason why is that I learned a lot about overcoming in a space where you are the only girl. And which incidentally, for me as a female pastor, I still find myself in spaces where I am the only woman. Isn't it interesting how God prepares you for things in life? But because my dad was wise, he knew that the best thing in this specific scenario was not to make the decision for me, but to help me process my decision and, and to learn how to be wise. My dad also taught me that pros and cons lists, while they are helpful, God's wisdom is often deeper than that. And we'll talk about that today. 
in the end, my dad's hope for me, I think, in my life, if I could go back and ask him right now, what was your deepest hope? I think my dad's deepest hope for me is that I would desire God's wisdom. More than just merely doing what I wanted, that my deepest desire, my deepest want would be for God's wisdom in my life. Because if that is what we most deeply desire, if we most deeply desire God's wisdom, then God will give it to us. If we most deeply desire God's wisdom, then we will get what we most deeply desire. It's kind of poetic, but this is actually kind of the theme that we see here in in Proverbs. If what we most deeply desire is God's wisdom, God promises to give us God's wisdom, and then we get what we most deeply desire. You see how it's a, a poetic way to answer that question? James says in the New Testament that if we ask for God's wisdom, God will give it to us generously. And here in Proverbs, um, as you saw, and we'll see again, God's wisdom is personified as Lady Wisdom, as we've come to call her. Uh, and in Proverbs 8, she says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. And so this promise that if you seek after God's wisdom, if you desire it, that you'll find it. There's a lot of things that we desire in our lives, isn't there? There's a lot of things that we want, if we're honest. Little Steph wanted to play hockey, even though it stressed out my parents, which playing hockey as a sport, no matter where you play, is stressful for parents because it's lots of injuries. When you think about your gut reaction to that question, what do you want? What comes to mind? You don't have to answer it to anybody around you. Just be honest with yourself. What, what do you want? What is the deepest desires you have? Do you, do you answer this question like I might and say, I, well, I want to be successful. I want to be happy. I want healthy relationships. I want to be financially stable. I, I want a good job. I want my kids to be healthy and safe. None of these wants are bad. But what we're going to see here is that Lady Wisdom cries out for us to hear this. Desire God's wisdom above all else because what it will produce in your life is greater than anything else that you could want or hope for. Desire God's wisdom above all else and what it will produce in your life is greater than anything you could want or hope for. So the question I want us to sit with today is this. Do you desire God's wisdom in your life and what would it look like to pursue it? Do you desire God's wisdom in your life? And then what would it look like to pursue it? Proverbs is known by its namesake. A proverb is usually a small tidbit of wisdom, maybe one or two sentences. Leland taught on one of those proverbs last week. When you read each proverb, it's important to remember that a proverb is not a promise. Uh, They're wise principles. Taking them to be promises can actually get us into a lot of trouble. So easy example, uh, Proverbs 22, 6 Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Of course, this is a great principle to be intentional with our kids, but it does not promise parents that their kids will will make choices exactly the way they would want them to. That's not the promise there, right? It's a good principle. So today I actually want us to focus on a part of Proverbs that's often overlooked, and that is the first nine chapters. They're not short, quippy Proverbs. In fact, they're speeches and they're, and they're poetic and they're, they're longer. And I want us to zoom in on one speech in chapter eight to help us think about this question. Do you desire wisdom in your life and what would it look like to pursue it? Take this question with you, with you and we're gonna watch one more Bible Project video that gives us an introduction specifically to Proverbs eight. In the story of the Bible, God creates the world by carving order out of disorder and darkness. Like an artist creating a place where life can flourish. Right, and still today, God's ordering power is at work, preventing the cosmos from slipping back into chaos and nothingness. And in the Bible, humanity has a key role to play in this ordering work. But to partner with God in that ongoing ordering of the cosmos, we need to be mentored by Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom? 
Who's that? Let's find out in Proverbs chapter 8. So within the Hebrew Bible, there's a scroll called Proverbs. It's about gaining wisdom. And while most of the scroll is a collection of short proverbs, it begins with nine chapters of speeches in which we meet a cast of symbolic characters. There's a wise fatherly king and a woman named Lady Wisdom. And they're offering divine wisdom that leads to stability and life. There's also a wicked man and a wily woman called Lady Folly. And their way of life is attractive, but it leads to disorder and death. Okay, so these speeches force you to make a choice. Whose advice will you listen to? Right, these contrasting couples are like poetic symbols of the many voices out there telling us how to be human. And in Proverbs, they're all competing for the attention of you, the reader, who's referred to throughout as my son. Got it. Now, all these speeches can be grouped into three main sections. And for now, we're going to focus on Proverbs chapter 8. It's a long speech from this majestic woman. Lady Wisdom. She's God's wisdom personified. And she stands at a crossroads on a tall hill, inviting you to enter into God's sacred city. Doesn't wisdom cry out and understanding raise her voice? At the road's high point, at the crossroads, she stands. Besides the gates going into the city, at the entrance, she shouts. And then Lady Wisdom begins her speech. It has four main parts. So Lady Wisdom in her speech here in chapter eight has four parts. And we're gonna look at these four parts of her speech and how they might answer this question uh, as we are asking ourselves, do we desire God's wisdom in our life? And perhaps she has some ideas for us on how we would pursue it. But before we do that, I wanna offer just a few definitions for you. Um, because, and, and I, th I think you might want to write them down because what I want you to do is as we listen to this, I want you to look for these words and their definitions. So I'll put them up here on the screen. First of all, let's have a definition of the word wisdom. Skill or applied knowledge, practical and social skill of righteousness and justice. It's the practical and social skill of righteousness and justice. And so uh, oftentimes when we think about wisdom, we often think primarily intellectual or mental, mentally focused, but this word is an action word. And so that's why we're talking about wisdom in action. It's about know-how and practical, the social skill of doing what is right and making the wrong things right. In the small little things in our life and the big things. The kind of knowledge that's demonstrated through action, wisdom in action. The next word up there is knowledge or knowing. When the word knowledge is used here in the Old Testament, it's relational. It's this idea of knowing, knowing God, knowing God's wisdom, knowing in a relational way and being known. Then the other word that's used there is understanding. Understanding is the ability to discern what is best or what is good. This discernment idea is what understanding is about. And then you also see the word instruction. Instruction is what you don't know that you need to know. Remember, this is a parent talking to a child. Hey, look, you don't know about this yet. You don't know. Don't touch that stove. It's hot. Now you know. This is the kind of instruction that we might need to get from a parent or from our spiritual parent, uh, God. And then finally, uh, well, two more. Desire. Desire here is used for our deepest wants. Not merely pleasure, not merely something you kind of want. I want ice cream later. But desire, it's a deep, deep concept. And it leads to true life and joy um, if we pursue this desire that's being talked about here when it comes to wisdom. And then um, the final word is discretion. Discretion. And a way that this word could be interpreted and could have been translated here is strategy. 
Strategy behind wise action. A lot of us love the idea of strategy and here Lady Wisdom is saying using discretion, using strategy to be able to live out wise action. So look for these words in the passage as we look at these four parts of Lady Wisdom's speech and how it can help us to pursue God's wisdom. And we're going to read through each part of it. So I really want you to, to hang in there, look at every single word as we read this very rich speech from Lady Wisdom as she is starting off uh, right here in chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Otherwise, we'll have it up here on the screen. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. This is really the first part. And what she is doing here is declaring her value. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the city gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud. And at the city gates is often where people would gather when decisions need to be made. And so that's a very common picture in the Old Testament. Verse 4, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I'll stop there. So wisdom is declaring her value. Nothing that you desire can compare with the wisdom that is offered to us. Living by God's wisdom leads to the most healthy things in life. Things that you can't buy with money. You can't buy with rubies. You can't buy with gold. This is what wisdom is all about. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project put it this way and I loved it. He said, Men and women living by the wisdom of God become supercharged and superhuman versions of themselves because they are tapping into God's divine wisdom, which has both male and female aspects to it. This is a, such an incredible picture that all of us, men and women, can see ourselves in this image of God, a God who created us in God's image, saying, step into and tap into my wisdom what an incredible value then that wisdom has in our life, more than anything we could want or desire. For wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. I just think that's a really interesting question that it brings up for me. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Because part of me I think says, well, there's some other things I might want, <laughs> maybe a little bit more. But here Lady Wisdom begs this question from all of us. Will we pursue God's wisdom by seeing its value above all else. Will we pursue God's wisdom by seeing its value above all else? So that's her first part. Wisdom declares her value and will we see its value above all else? Part two, God's wisdom is very practical and very action oriented. That's what this whole part two is about. So let me read it starting in verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. There it is, the word strategy. Discretion. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles, all who rule on the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold, 
What I yield surpasses choice silver. There's the value again. I walk in the way of righteousness and along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasures full. Let's stop there at the end of verse 21. God's wisdom is practical and action-oriented. Humans depend on God's wisdom, and here's the key. Even if they don't realize that's what they're depending on. People who are living wisely, whether or not they're acknowledging God or believing in what God is believing in for them and their life, wisdom is a part of who God is. And so when humans created in God's image live wisely, we are imaging God in that way. Lady Wisdom is pointing out here very clearly that anytime you see a ruler or a king or a prince or a leader, if they are being wise, and that's the key word there, if, if they are being wise, if they're leading with wisdom, if they're leading with justice, then they are living by divine wisdom, even if they don't know it, even if they don't acknowledge it. But that's not true if they're not living into exactly what Lady Wisdom is talking about. So what this does not mean is that whatever leaders do must be wise. What it means is when leaders of any space are choosing to be wise and have wisdom as a part of their decisions, they are, they are tapping into God's divine wisdom. And of course, a leader can choose as much as anyone else can to seek that wisdom or not to seek after more of that wisdom or not, because God, God's promise to us is that if we seek it, that we will find it. You hear it there in verse 17. After talking about kings and rulers, I think Lady Wisdom is saying, but you don't have to be a king or a ruler because it says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Anyone. It's not just about people who have positional power or authority, but anyone who seeks will find. And that question of whether or not we're seeking that out is key for us today. So in this poem, the choices are personified here in Proverbs throughout, as we saw earlier in the video, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, okay, this kind of contrast. Uh, going back to the Garden of Eden even and saying like, you know, the, the, there is this choice that can be made between true knowledge and true wisdom or seeking after whatever you want. So will you choose to follow Lady Folly or Lady Wisdom? Lady Folly pursues pleasures that are temporary, She's selfish, she's indulgent, she goes for what she wants in the moment and doesn't think about long-term ramifications. And then there's Lady Wisdom, discerning. She contributes to the order and the beauty and the justice in the world and leads to long-term, true, deep joy. A good question there is, is not that Lady Wisdom doesn't want to have any fun. It's that Lady Wisdom wants us to experience true, deep, and lasting joy. So that brings up the second question from part two. Will you pursue God's wisdom by putting it into action? And how about this time we give God credit for it, you know, no matter what. Will we pursue God's wisdom by putting it into action? Not just seeking after a mental idea of knowing what is wise, but doing what is wise in our life. Okay, that leads to part three in verse 22. Listen to what she continues on. The Lord has brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. Now this is hearkening back to Genesis again. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he, God, made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there where he set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. 
She was with God in the beginning, this whole section. Wisdom is saying, I was with God in the beginning, bringing order from the chaos. Lady Wisdom was with God in the beginning. She is in the very fabric of creation, the way that there is order brought to creation as God's creating the world. Now, remember, this is a poem. This is a poem. So the language about birthing here that we see, uh, the Lord brought me forth, I was formed, I was given birth. This is a metaphor. It's not to be taken literally. And it's helpful for us to understand that because it's not to mean that God the Father gave birth to a little girl named Lady Wisdom. That's not what this poem means. Um, if scholars take a good look at it, what we understand is that she is the personification of the, this deep part of who God is, God's wisdom. And this is all about just this idea that we can't separate God's wisdom from who God is because God's wisdom has been there since the beginning. It is a distinct part of who God is rather than a distinctly separate being. So what we're seeing here in Lady Wisdom is the personification or an image of what God's wisdom looks like. Now, who else is described as being with God from the beginning of creation? The Gospel of John opens up describing Jesus in this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was, that was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Right there, John is opening up this gospel to, that he goes on to tell the story of Jesus to say, Jesus' spirit has been there since the beginning. And then we hear Paul, an early leader in the church, when he's writing to the church uh, in the city of Corinth. And he describes Jesus in 1 Corinthians 1.30 as the personification, there again, of God's wisdom. Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, is what Paul says. Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. So we have this beautiful description here in this poem of what God's wisdom looks like. But in God's wisdom, that wasn't enough. God's wisdom put on flesh and moved into the world to give us an even more complete picture of what God's wisdom personified would look like. Jesus, in so many ways, is the personification of God's wisdom come to earth to come down to be with us. And the mission of Jesus' kingdom is what? To restore all things, to take the things that have gotten chaotic because of this broken world and to bring order just like we see from the beginning where Jesus was and God's wisdom was present. Tim Mackey says this too, it's only when we live by God's wisdom that we join his project of ordering the world, creating space and communities where all of God's creatures can flourish in peace. And so what I love about this is that now for us as we look back, we know that God's wisdom here is personified as lady wisdom and now we know also God's wisdom is personified in Jesus. And we have that, that example of who Jesus was in our life. And we get to join in Jesus' mission, as we often talk about. So the question, I think, from part three is this. Will you pursue God's wisdom by joining in Jesus' restoration to bring back order from chaos, to make the wrong things right? We get to choose to do that on an everyday basis in little ways and big ways in our life. And so that leads us to part four, and that is Lady Wisdom's final appeal. Her appeal to choose. What will we choose? Let me read it for you. Verse 22, uh, no, we'll skip verse 32. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. That's a, that's a bit of a 
tough way to end a speech, but that's how she ends it. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord, but those who fail to find me harm themselves. And all who hate me love death. There in verse 34, she says, watching daily at my doors. And I think the question of her final kind of exhortation to us is this. Will we pursue God's wisdom by choosing God's wisdom daily? Will we pursue God's wisdom by choosing God's wisdom daily? And I think in my own experience, that is a daily choice because there's a lot of other things I wake up in the morning desiring more than God's wisdom. So let me put my original question on the screen for you and then we can see how Lady Wisdom answers it as we just went through. Do you desire God's wisdom in your life and what would it look like to pursue it? Well, we see to see God's wisdom as more valuable than anything else, to put wisdom into action, to join in Jesus' restoration, bringing order back from chaos, and then fourth, choosing God's wisdom daily. Here's four simple ways. They might be simple to understand, but sometimes they're difficult to do. But they answer this question of what would it look like to pursue it. Now, what I want you to think about as we close is the different aspects of your life. Think about the, the totality of your life because God cares about all of it. Look at these, these answers and look at this question through the lens of your life. When it comes to whether or not you desire God's wisdom in your life, think about these different areas of your life, and I'll do the same. Think about your family, your relationships, your extended family. Are we, are we seeking after God's wisdom? Do we desire God's wisdom perhaps in our parenting, perhaps in our marriages, in our most intimate relationships? How about desiring God's wisdom in our vocation? your job, uh, whatever fills the time of your day. Maybe it's education, maybe it's volunteering. What about God's wisdom leading us in those spaces? Spiritually, are we seeking after God's wisdom to know how we can deepen our relationship with God? Because for some of us, that looks really different. And so how do we ask for God's wisdom and how we can grow in our faith and figuring out how to be close to God relationally? How about when it comes to mission and purpose? There's so many of us that have things that are deep on our hearts and our minds that we care so much about, different justice issues maybe, different areas where people are in need. When we ask for God's wisdom to lead us into that space, it makes all the difference. Because sometimes we just get totally paralyzed and we don't step into anything because we're overwhelmed or we're just kind of taking, taking a stab at everything. Instead saying, God, in your wisdom, how would you lead me towards the areas of mission and purpose that you're inviting me into? When it comes to our thought life, the things we think about that we maybe never even say out loud. We know those things form us and shape us as we think about those things. As we think about something that comes up in our mind and heart, I love Raymond on our, on our leadership team a few weeks ago, he said, we need to interrogate our thoughts because just because we have a thought doesn't mean it's true and doesn't mean it's good for us. Do we interrogate those thoughts and say, is that wise? What I'm thinking about myself, what I'm thinking about other people, is that wise what I'm thinking about that group of people? Is that from God's heart? Is that God's wisdom when it comes to how I'm maybe picturing God uh, not wanting to give me wisdom, holding back, not wanting to be a part of my life, disappointed in me? Is that wise? And then maybe some that we should often mention, and that is what they often call the big three, money, sex, and power, right? We talk about this as the big three. Are we pursuing God's wisdom in our finances, in our sexuality, in places where we have authority and leadership and privilege? Because it's the default for most of us is not to pursue God's wisdom in those places. And that's why they've got come to become the big three, because they get people into so much pain and suffering in their life. And the way Lady Wisdom says it, that they will harm themselves in the end and other people along the way. So every day, 
As Lady Wisdom says, we have this choice. Will we choose Lady Wisdom or Lady Folly? Will we join in what God is doing or go our own way? Will we be invited into the, the work of Jesus and the way of Jesus or step into whatever way we are feeling like in the moment? Here's the thing. Now we have something that the early readers of Proverbs didn't have back when they were getting these words. We have Jesus, the embodiment of God's wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1.30, right? Jesus says so clearly to us, I have come so that you can have life to the full in John 10.10. I love that. Our relationship with Jesus is what makes living in wisdom truly possible. Jesus said he left the Holy Spirit for us as a counselor and a guide. And so if we're asking this question, how can we be people who pursue God's wisdom in our life? It starts with our relationship with Jesus, surrendering our life to Jesus and to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and welcoming the Holy Spirit into our minds and our hearts and asking for God's wisdom. But that means letting go of some control and letting God's spirit in. And then we can take action following Jesus one day at a time, looking for what God is doing in our lives and around us and joining in. Lady Wisdom describes this full life that Jesus offers in that last appeal that we just read. And so I want to close by reading it in the, the message translation or the message paraphrase because I love how, she, how it's written here by Eugene Peterson. Listen to Lady Wisdom's final appeal. So my dear friends, listen carefully. Those who embrace these, my ways, are most blessed. Mark a life of discipline and live wisely. Don't squander your precious life. Bless the man, bless the woman who listens to me, awake and ready for me each morning, alert and responsive as I start my day's work. When you find me, you find life, real life, to say nothing of God's good pleasure. But if you wrong me, you damage your very soul. When you reject me, you're flirting with death. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come to you and we thank you for being wisdom personified. And we thank you that you didn't leave this earth and then leave us alone, but give us your spirit to continue to lead us in ways of wisdom. We look around in this world and we know we desperately need your wisdom, God. So fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the daily energy and empowerment to say, yes, God, I want to seek after and pursue your wisdom on a daily basis and the little things in life and the big things and everything in between. We give our lives to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.